On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, saying, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would manifest yourself among us this evening. If in nothing else than in the assurance of faith that the same gifts that were given to that early band of Christians has been given to us, that you have been given to us. Would you come and warm our hearts to the love of Christ? Cause us to remember the things that he has said this evening and throughout this week. May we be a people who are made of joy because of your indwelling presence. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. This evening we're celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. And um, I would imagine that 100 years from now, historians are probably going to look back at our time and if they were to give it a name, it would probably be something like the Age of Anxiety or perhaps even the Age of Terror. Uh, it's weird, right? If, especially if you're younger and you're sort of coming of age right now, that the world is shifting in ways that it hasn't in, in generations past. We seem to be losing our grasp on what it means to be meaningfully human and to dwell with one another in a way that's, that's more palpable maybe than it has been. And I don't really have uh, a lot of great answers to what is happening in our world. Uh, I'm not a policymaker. No one is knocking on my door asking me for comment on really anything. Thanks be to God. <laughs> but I think, I think there's something for us in Pentecost. If we could have some time together now, followed by some moments of stillness, I, I think there's something here. As I said last week, I, I think what the world needs most right now is people who worship Jesus rather than join in the panic that's going on all around us. And I think it's the Spirit who makes that possible. 
So in our gospel lesson this evening, it's Easter night. The disciples have heard by now that the tomb is empty and they've locked themselves in the upper room out of fear of the authorities. They are trembling. They feel probably even more acutely than we do a similar sense of undoneness. Their old lives don't really make sense anymore and yet there are authorities in their lives that are after them and will likely try to kill them if they don't recant of following this would-be Messiah. Just three days prior, they watched from a distance as their rabbi suffocated to death, his skin, skin hanging like rib- his skin hanging like ribbons on his back, his feet pressing into the nails for every single breath. That's what they watched happen. And now they are locked in a room for fear, regardless of the resurrection rumors that they heard. They are gripped with fear. And Jesus comes and stands in their midst, their locked door being no match for him. And he says the words that I think all human beings really want to hear. Peace be with you. Out of the mouth of God himself, peace be with you. And then he shows them his wounds and they are overjoyed. He is alive. Everything he's told us about himself must be true How he came for this purpose not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might have life. They're thinking back to all of the things that he's told them, and he says it again. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This passage is as many things in the Gospel of John, theologically loaded. And so there are too many things for us to follow uh, in one evening. But one of the things that I think that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is that existence itself is a gift. All of life is a gift to be lived before God, and all that is needed is to receive it. He doesn't come to them and say, earn back my trust. Show me that you're worthy of being the leaders of my church. Show me that you're not going to walk away again when things get difficult. No. He comes in and offers gifts, and the only command is to receive. Receive peace. Receive the Spirit. And receive the mission. Now, peace in our linguistic range generally means some form of ceasefire or quiet. We could say that after Grandma's china hutch fell to the ground that one Thanksgiving with a loud crash, there was then peace again in the house. And yet the china is gone. In Jewish terms, peace, the word shalom, means wholeness. Just because the sound of the dishes breaking is over doesn't mean shalom has actually been restored, right? Jesus isn't telling the disciples, hey, the worst is over. No, he's telling them something far more profound. He's saying the restoration has begun, and I am setting the world right again. My resurrection is proof that new creation is coming. This sort of peace is, I think, the thing that all human beings long for deep in our DNA. This sense of wholeness and restoration. It's not something Christ tells us in this short passage that we have to earn. It is a gift that is given to us in the sacrificial death and powerful resurrection of Christ. It is yours for the taking. 
All you have to do is receive. It's a peace that you could never earn, and it is a gift. The Spirit also is a gift. As Jesus breathes out on his disciples and said, Receive the Spirit, what we see here is that the Spirit is the linchpin that brings the gift of peace together with the gift of mission. And the Spirit is the gift, the gift beyond all gifts. He is the one who brings us peace by taking the work that Christ has done on our behalf and making it ours. The Spirit is the one who gives us particular gifts, as we heard in our New Testament lesson, to carry out the mission that has been handed to us by God the Son. But at an even deeper, more incredible level, the Spirit is himself the gift because you and I were made to dwell with God. This is the fundamental thing about humanity, is that we were made to dwell with God, and we have cut ourselves off from that place. And yet in Christ and his giving of the Spirit, the Spirit now dwells in us. He is the gift beyond all gifts. Though our rebellion cut us off from living with him, Christ's work and the gift of the Spirit have brought us back into communion a common dwelling with God. Jesus tells them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, which, as we talk about regularly here, this is what apostolic means. It means to be a sent one. And being a sent one means seeing yourself as a continuation of the giftedness of existence. It is all tied in with the self-understanding of having been given everything, and now you see yourself as a gift. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says. How has the Father sent Jesus? He sent him in love. He sent him in obscurity, in humility, in suffering and death into the world, not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might have life, and that life would be the light of men. Jesus understood himself as a gift, and he poured himself out as an offering, as a gift unto God on behalf of the world, for the life of the world. And this is where our ability to receive life as a gift and the life of the Spirit as a gift connects with our ability to conceive of ourselves as gifts. Gifts to one another and gifts to the world. Now, maybe you have decided to follow Jesus way back when because you heard that he was the only way of salvation. And by the way, that's true. But somewhere back in, the, in your mind, you've remained convinced that you're the one that has to do the work. You've got to do all of the building and the striving and the making. And daily life is hard. It's fragmented. We're all going a million directions at a million miles an hour. We've got careers and kids and dirty kitchens. But this is the clincher. None of these things belong to us in the way that we assume that they do. They aren't ours in the sense that we have built them and made them. They are ours because they have been given to us as a gift. It's not because we've done the work or put in the time or earned them. This runs completely contrary to how we imagine ourselves in the world. We tend to think that we're building a solid identity on the work that we've done. We've earned what we have. But I think it's that very sense of earning that leads us to live in fear and anxiety and insecurity because every once in a while, 
we edge towards screwing up, and we know if we screw up bad enough, all of it will be lost. And so we have to hide it away and hang on to all of the things that we've earned and not allow ourselves to be seen in our fullness because we have to keep projecting that we've earned this. Which means that we have to start realizing that what Robert Capon says is true. If you're in Christ, then you have been saved by grace. He says we can do nothing and deserve nothing. It is all absolutely and without qualification one huge, hilarious gift. All of it. From your first breath to your final is one huge, hilarious gift. And when we really let the idea of giftedness permeate our imaginations so that we start to see every day, every relationship, every moment as a gift, we will become the kind of people that Jesus can work with. Because we'll stop pretending like we have it all together, that we somehow earned this. We will actually be able to own our failures and praise God for what Jesus has done to bring life where we only had death. And when we start to look at the world and our life in it as one big, hilarious gift, we will begin to see ourselves as God's gift to others. Enough of this false humility. If you are here, you have been given as a gift to this church. There are people in this room who need what you have to offer, what you have been given in Christ. There are people in this city who need who you are, what you have been given in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have been given the Holy Spirit, God himself. Don't hold yourself back. You are God's gift to the world. But here's the thing. You have been sent and given as a gift to the place where you find yourself. You have been given as a gift and sent to those kids who are tedious and willful. You have been given as a gift and sent to those neighbors who are strange and loud and awkward. You've been given as a gift and sent to that job with the harsh boss or the mundane tasks. You have been given as a gift and sent to that kitchen sink filled with dishes for the tenth time today. The tasks and stresses of the daily grind are not the problem. The problem is our insistence that these things be about us, revolve around us, and serve our mission What we're not realizing is that self-centeredness is the way of death because it assumes that we are the owners and builders and doers rather than receivers. We have to stop clenching our fists, holding on to what we think we've built so that we can receive. See, the biblical story tells us that our breath isn't even our own. This is what John is getting at in this passage, is that way back when, when God created Adam, he breathed into him the breath of life. He made Adam a living creature. And so now Jesus creates the church by breathing out upon the apostles the regenerating Holy Spirit. And the new creation has begun. And there's only one command necessary. Receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, I don't know what you came in here with this week. 
But if your life is anything like mine, I imagine it's a mixed bag. Some wins, some losses, some roses, some thorns. Every rose has its thorn. Who sang that? Was that Seal? Someone said it. Poison. All right. We're in the home stretch. I'll focus. I don't know what you came in here with this evening, but I want you to try this right now in your seat. Whatever that thing is that's gnawing at you, that thing that you, you feel like if someone knew you would be discredited, or that thing that somehow makes you feel like a failure, that you're maybe not doing good enough, that you need to be better at or try harder at. Maybe it's a moral issue or an issue at work or a negative word from your spouse. Whatever it is, you've got at least one of them, right? Maybe more. And now I want you to imagine these encounters with Jesus that we talk about here over and over and over again. The woman who's caught in adultery and who's about to be executed, and Jesus refuses to condemn her. Zacchaeus, the cheat, who is hated by everyone in his town, and Jesus walks up to him and invites himself over for dinner. The woman who had been ill for 12 years and spent all her money seeking a cure, and Jesus calls her a daughter and heals her and sees her, really sees her. The widow who has nothing but one son to take care of her, and now he's died, and Jesus brings her son back to life, effectively restoring her life as well. Peter, the denier, the one who screamed out curses to prove that he had no dealings with Jesus whatsoever. And then the resurrected Jesus walks with him on the beach and gently restores him and commissions him to carry on the work. What do all of these people have in common? They were all failures in one way or another. And they were all given gifts by Jesus. Jesus comes to each one of them as a gift. So however you see yourself tonight, whether it's someone who is built it all themselves and you're still flexing your muscles, holding it all up, or someone who has already made a wreck of things, the call to each of us is the exact same. Receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. Start to see everything in your life as one huge, hilarious gift. And let the Spirit do his work. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.